You are listening to John Castile's Being Born Again sermon from the 6 p.m. service recorded on February 8, 1987. Praise the Lord. That's good music, isn't it? Do you enjoy that good music? Amen. Nice to The Bible is very brief in what it says. The stories are very brief. But yet the, enough of the stories are given to us for us to understand exactly what is meant and exactly what is said. Is my mic up here someplace? It isn't, is it? Where is it? No, never mind. I'll use this one. Okay, he didn't know I was preaching it. They're going to come up and get it. We're talking about John chapter 3 and the story of this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. I want you to read it with me, and we'll start in verse 1 of John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Now let's just think about that for a minute. First of all, who was Nicodemus? Well, most of us have read about Nicodemus and we've read enough about him that we know that Nicodemus was the one who went in and asked Pilate for Jesus' body after Jesus had died. And he, had, by that time, was definitely a believer in the Lordship of Jesus. And uh, we also know by some church history and some of the things that we've heard that Nicodemus was one who opposed uh, the killing of Jesus in the council and one who tried to hold up what was going on. But when Nicodemus first met Jesus, this is the story of what went on. They had heard about Jesus. And Nicodemus said, we know that you're a man that's come from God. Why, it's simple, because nobody could do these signs and miracles that you're doing unless God were with him. So we know that the man had spiritual insight. But chapter 1, or chapter 3 and verse 1 of John says that he was a man of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were what we would call the more uh, conservative, Bible-believing a strong, holiness-believing, uh, we would call them today a Bible-thumper, a man who really believed the Word of God. And so he was of the sect of the Pharisees, a leading group of, uh, of fundamentalist Jews of that time. Fundamentalist not in the term that the newspaper uses to try to make you look silly, but fundamentalist in, in that you really believe the fundamentals of your faith. And you don't liberalize them or don't turn from them. Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee. He was a member of the ruling council of Israel. We call it the Sanhedrin. He was one of the 70 judges that ruled the affairs of Israel. They were granted some freedom under the Roman government to self-determine 
as a nation. And he was one of them. Would be equivalent to a senator today in our country. Only they, re- they ruled not by popular vote, but by being chosen as faithful unto the Lord. And their law was not a constitution, but it was the Bible. So we understand then that he was a lawyer. He was a ruling member. He was a judge. He was a Pharisee. Now all of those things tell us that he was also wealthy. He also had good lineage. He also had an excellent education, excellent background, and a tremendous reputation. For those men had to be strong pillars in the community. The Bible also tells us that he came to Jesus by night. Now we can read into that that maybe Nicodemus came to the Lord in a this type of a man would not want to be seen publicly with Jesus. And so instead he chose a time in the evening to come to the Lord. Uh, The Lord doesn't tell us the time of day it is that other people came to him. But the scripture does tell us that he came to Jesus by night. Now no doubt there would be some political overtones to him coming and having a conversation with this itinerant carpenter preacher from Galilee. Because he was controversial. And he was speaking things that many in the ruling council did not agree. But many of them did agree that he must, at this point at least, that he must have come from God because the signs were only signs that God could do. And he said this to Jesus. He just, that's what he said. But if you notice when Jesus talks to people, many times he doesn't respond to the question they're saying, but he responds to the question that they're asking. How many of you know that human beings are a little bit devious in their talk? You notice that? And Jesus knew what was on Nicodemus' heart. Here was this man that had it all together, but at the same time was empty. He, had a, he knew it all, but he really didn't know what was most important. Master or teacher. And Jesus said, and he replied, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What a strange answer. Now just put yourself in this. Here's this great judge, you know. If a great judge came to see me some evening, I'd be so flattered. I'd say, oh my goodness, it's wonderful to have you here. And he'd say, well, John, we know that what you're doing has to be God. You know, Grace Chapel has to be of the Lord because we recognize that people couldn't have done this in this amount of time. I'd say, oh, shucks. Wouldn't we? We'd kind of, you know, be humble and all that. Jesus just looked at him and he said, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again. Now Nicodemus no doubt had never heard this kind of talk before. Because we have his response. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. I love it the way Jesus talks. He just gives them something to chew on that's bigger than their ability to bite. Why you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. This is why the average person in the world doesn't know anything about the kingdom of God. Because it's something that they cannot see unless they're born by the Spirit. It's not. They, they want to converse on it and talk on it and debate on it and study it. But I don't care how much you learn, how much you study, how good you are. Jesus said, you can't see it unless you've been born again. Well, so there must be some limitation to not being born again. One limitation is you can't see the kingdom. Nicodemus says, well, how can that be? Can I go and get in my mother's womb again and be born being old? You know, that'd be quite a job. Then he says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Verse 5. Unless a man is born of water 
and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And notice he said now, first, you can't see it, and then secondly, you can't enter the kingdom. Not only can you not perceive it, or understand it, or see it as the word he uses, but you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then he adds this, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit, or to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Why does this surprise you? And then he uses a very simple example, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now again, to get a hold of his analogy and to prove his point, Jesus simply uses the little understanding of the wind. Now this was before the time of satellites, when we knew where the wind came from. Now at least the satellite gives us a little bit of knowledge where the wind came from. Okay, we can see it forming out there in the ocean. Or we know that maybe it came from a a depression in the sea or a tide or something like that. All kinds of guesses where it comes from. But in those days, because they couldn't see the wind, they didn't know where it came from. They didn't know where it was going. The only thing they knew, they could see the results of the wind. For example, I know the wind is blowing because I can see the shuffle of the leaves. But the leaves are not the wind. I know the wind is blowing because I can hear the sound going through the telephone wires or through the trees. But the sound is not the wind, the sound is the tree. The wind cannot be seen and yet we know that the wind exists because we can hear its sound and we can see its results. And he says, so are those born of the Spirit. All over the world people are trying to deny the reality of the new birth. When all around them, the leaves are just fluttering and the sound is there. People's lives are being changed. People that used to be sad sacks are now rejoicing and excited about God and zealous. People are leaving habits. Dramatic changes are happening. Healing are happening. People say, I don't know what this is, but it can't be the new birth. And yet Jesus says it's the new birth. And there it is. It's like a guy said, I don't believe in wind because I can't see wind. I mean, that's foolish. And so Jesus is telling him here, why... What a a statement that you you don't know what being born again is. He says, you hear the wind, you you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, and yet you know it exists because you see the results of it. He said, look at the results of this experience in the lives of people. Well, we want to get into that metaphor or that that, uh, understanding of what being born of the Spirit is. It's a powerful, powerful explanation. Jesus only used it with Nicodemus. When he talked about salvation to the woman of the well, he talked about thirst and water. He says, you come for this kind of water, and I've got water to give you that you'll never thirst again if you drink it. But it'll be in you and flowing, a living water. When he talked to uh, Mary and Martha, he talked about resurrection. Everybody that Jesus talked to about salvation, he talked differently. He used a different type of of a statement. I love the way he talked to the intellectual, proud, have everything together Nicodemus. He talked about being born. Because you see, it wasn't enough to turn over a new leaf. It wasn't enough to adopt another philosophy or learn something new. It wasn't going to be enough to just 
obey another law. It wasn't going to be enough to get another degree or another position or some more money. Those things in themselves, as good as they are, weren't the heart of the issue. The issue was you can't even see or you can't enter the kingdom without being born again. The problem is, is how do you get born again? What does that mean? Well, let me explain to you just a minute in the very thing that Jesus did. He said, that which is born of the water, that which is... Uh, you must be born of water and of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, as a common practice in the Bible, uh, God speaks in doubles. He uses the same, saying the same thing two ways. For example, he says being born of the water and born of the Spirit. The next verse, flesh and the Spirit. Well, we know that a child is born of water. Now, I know a lot of people are trying to make and, and think that this water means baptism. That baptism is how they're born of water and of the Spirit. But you know, when, you're, when you were born, whether you know it or not, you were kind of like a polywog. You were in your mother's uh, belly and there was, you were formed in a sack of water. Weren't you? Anyone here that was formed in a bubble of air someplace? All of us... All of us were formed in a sack of water. Now the interesting thing about it, now that we have these new pictures that go into the womb and take full vivid colored pictures of the development of the child, it becomes absolutely tremendous to see what happens in birth. This child is formed as the two seeds come together or as the ovum is penetrated by the sperm and then that attaches itself to the womb and then the womb begins to create this sack of water and it feeds this thing as it's attached and pretty soon it begins to form. It begins to form. It begins to form. We begin to see fingers and ears and eyes. and Very small. It begins to feel and move and have a brain and have uh, intestines. I don't know how anybody in the world could think that evolved. I just don't. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in. Anyway, <laughs> this, this child, you, you know, if you talk about this, it's, it's enough to believe that given the same conditions of random choice that a man could be produced, but to think under the same conditions a woman could be produced close enough to find each other is really wild. Anyway. <laughs> Here we find that this sack then of water is the world of that child. And as that child goes on to grow in the mother's womb, it has ears, but they're no good. The, the, the ear isn't any good in that sack of water. It hears through conduction and through... Uh, vibrations. It doesn't hear sound waves as much as it does senses. It has eyes, but is all it can't see in the sack. It has desires it can't express. It has lungs it can't breathe. It can't cry in the mother's womb. It has no voice in the mother's womb. And the very thing that brought it to life becomes its prison until it's born. And so in the last few weeks of pregnancy, the baby wants out. Any of you that have carried him know what's going on. The baby wants out. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> it wants out. And the way that baby gets out is the tremendous birth process 
of the breaking of the water, the lubrication of the passage, the moving of the bones, and the expulsion by the muscles of that child. And that child is born. And what born means, it's taken from the realm of water and limitation of the natural birth into the light of day, into the fresh air, out of the water, and that baby begins to gasp and open its lungs and breathe for the first time. It cries out in its lungs and its vocal cords work. It opens its eyes and it sees the light of day. All of a sudden, it hears. All of this begins to work because it is born. It is taken from the realm of the womb into the realm of life for which it was destined. It wasn't destined to live as a polywog in the sack all its life. That was just the process to bring it to natural life. Jesus is saying natural life is the same way. It's like the sack. Being born naturally is just the means to get you born spiritually. Because you have a spirit. You have a heart. You have a soul that, that, that can't express themselves. You have a life in God potential that is totally unreachable unless you come and through the Spirit of God begin to call out to God. Hallelujah. And just as a baby is born and his lungs fill usually with a cry, you are born into the realm of the Spirit, ushered from the realm of the natural into the realm of the supernatural God. You're, you're taken by the Holy Spirit from a natural man and you're made a man that is infilled with the Holy Spirit as you cry out to God. And now those eyes that could not see the kingdom before open and there's light. And those ears that could not hear God all of a sudden begin to hear God and those lungs that couldn't breathe the Holy Spirit can now open and fill with God and your heart can enjoy His joy. Praise the Lord. Boy, Jesus preached some good messages, didn't He? Man. And Nicodemus was on the verge of that experience. And the Bible doesn't tell us whether he accepted the Lord or not. He just told him about it and went on talking to him and doesn't say what Nicodemus did. Church history tells us that Nicodemus did see the kingdom and did hear the voice of God and did breathe in his spiritual lungs the very Spirit of God. But Jesus said, this is the way, this is the way that you're made a man or woman of God. It comes by birth. If you'll turn over to John 1, we'll find what John says about this in his introduction. Explaining the book and explaining Jesus. It talks about him being in the world. It says, He was in the world, talking about the Lord, and through and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Why? Because you need a spiritual birth. If you're in your if you're in your natural cocoon and sack and your natural limitation and haven't been brought by the Spirit into the realm of the Spirit, then you can't see the kingdom. The world didn't recognize Jesus even though he had created the world. It said he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Speaking of the Jewish nation, 
his own people. Yet to all who receive him, what does this mean now, receive him? Those that when God comes knocking at your door, you say, come on in. <laughs> you say, I want you. You don't fight and say no to God and put him off. Those who receive him, to those who believed in his name, the name Jesus means Jehovah's Savior, Jeshua, Jehovah's Shua, salvation. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, this is a process he's talking about here. But he's not talking about the process of being a baby or being born. He's talking about the process of being full-grown sons. You have the right to become a full-grown son of God. But you can only be a full-grown son if you're first born. And there he gets to the next of it. He says, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And this is what John was talking about. Being born of the Spirit. One other mention of this is found in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. And Peter says, For you have been born again. I love this. Talking to the believers. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed. Hallelujah. But of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now just as a baby is born in the womb, that womb is nothing more than the carrier and the, the incubator, if you please, of that seed. That is, uh, that the conception process goes into the, the, the process of growing in the womb. Even as that is a natural process, the seed that begins that process, that germinates with your life, your life is is kind of like the woman's seed that is there and it's neutral. And all of a sudden, God penetrates you and conception happens when you hear and listen to his word. And see, so he says, you are born again, not of perishable seed. And now he's using this simile again. And that seed is the living and enduring word of God. I'm taking a long time with this tonight, but I believe it's extremely important. Acts chapter 10 tells us of another instance like this. Now, this man wasn't a Jew. His name was Cornelius. He was a centurion, which means he was a military man, and he was a captain of hundreds. He'd be about like a captain in our day. Centurions were also many times used as political figures because... Having leadership ability, they were giving all, given all kinds of posts as ambassadors and so forth. And Cornelius was a centurion with the Italian band of soldiers, very the Italian regiment. And the Bible says in chapter 10, verse 1, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously. One day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel. Now I want you to just think about this. Here is a guy again who had attained and was doing well in his career. He was a man of discipline, a man of understanding. Not only that, but now being posted in Israel, he had believed the word that God had in the Old Testament. And so much so that he was called devout. Now devout means that he really loves God. Not only was he devout, 
But he feared the Lord. Not only did he fear the Lord, but he was a generous giver. I'd love to have that kind of guy in Grace Chapel. <laughs> Not only that, but this guy was so devout, God-fearing and generous... That he saw a vision, and in a vision he clearly, and I mean not nebulously and not darkly, this guy saw in technicolor an angel. Now you'd think a guy like that would be saved. I mean, anybody with that kind of experience would make one of the great, some of the charismatic magazines. <laughs> Wouldn't he? But there was something missing in his life. The angel said to him, and I love this, because you see, God didn't give the angel permission to tell him how to get saved. He had to go deal with Peter. Peter was the one committed, commissioned to preach the gospel, not the angels. I'm sure the angels would rather do it than us. I'm sure there are angels up there right now saying, come on, John, get on with it. You know, do a better job than you're doing. They would be much better at it. But God has given to us the preaching of the gospel and the partnering with him in this. And so the angel referred him to Peter. Told him to go down to Joppa, which is now uh, Tel Aviv in Israel. He says, you go down there and you'll find this guy Peter. And you bring him back here and he's going to tell you words. Verse 22, when they reached Peter, the men replied, We've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to this house so that he could hear what you have to say. The angel said, Listen, you want to be saved. In other words, in, in uh, verse uh, what is it for? He said, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance before God. They came up before God. Hey, this guy is seeking for you. So the angel says, look, you got to go down and talk to Peter. Peter came down and as Peter began to talk to him and the man believed, all of Cornelius' house were filled with the Holy Spirit. But the issue was, it took words. Remember the Bible says, you have been born again, not by imperishable seed, but by the word of God. That lives and abides forever. In Romans chapter 10, he tells us how that happens. And he, Paul is talking about those who are religious. He's talking about the religious Jews of his day. It still goes for them, but this principle goes for all of those who are very religious and yet don't know God. Have never been born of the Spirit. They cannot see the kingdom no matter how much they study. They can't enter the kingdom no matter what they do because it isn't based on your good works or your amount of study. It's based upon having your heart touched by the Word of God and being born into the family of God. And then you sit at Father's table and you hear the Word or the voice of the Lord in your own spirit and heart. Now the world laughs at this term, being born again. But I don't laugh at it. The reason the world laughs is they can't see the kingdom. And Paul said, Brothers, my desire, heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Here was this godly nation of Jews that were righteous before the Lord in so many ways. But he says, I would that they would be saved. Paul didn't think the Jews were saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they do not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now this is the problem with most religions. Zeal 
trying to find righteousness, but going after their own righteousness rather than waiting for the righteousness that comes as a gift from God. And by establishing their own and not receiving God's righteousness, they miss what God is doing. Christ is the end of the law or the purpose of the law. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? And this is the typical philosophy of man. How can I know if there's a God if I can't see him? Send someone up to see. How can I know if there's a devil? Send someone down into the earth to see. No, the righteousness that comes from God doesn't say, prove it to me scientifically. The righteousness that comes from God says, what does it say? The word, again, is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming. And so we have this interesting concept of not needing scientific proof, but having a heart that can hear the word of truth, the word of faith, as it comes. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, these very religious people that were zealous and trying and following codes and ordinances and practices and all of that, Paul said they weren't saved. He said the way to be saved is let that word penetrate your heart and let it come up into you into the confession of his lordship and the submission to him. How do you do that? By believing. I believe that tonight, even as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is dropping words of faith in people's hearts. Because I know that God wouldn't speak to my heart and uh, give me the impression and, the, and the, the certainty that I should speak to you on this level unless there was someone here whom that word is trying to penetrate right now and conceive the life of God in you. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. How can I know that? I can't know that with my head. That knowledge goes beyond my head. I can't know that just like the child can't see in the womb. I know that now because of faith in the word that has come to my heart. And that word of God that penetrates my being lets me know that in the word of faith then. The way it's conceived is I confess it. I say it's true and I believe. And I receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Notice what he says, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe. It's not with your head, it's with your heart that you believe. Now that seems backwards to people, but guess who's backwards? It's not God, people are backwards. Because you can know God only with your heart. And then your mind is renewed as you walk in his word. You can't find him with your mind. You can find him with your spirit because he is spirit. Now he says, 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and and are saved. As the scripture says, everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, between religious and non-religious. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who calls on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Now what name is that? It is Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that's very simply in the scripture what it means to be born again and how you become born again. You hear the word of God and then as faith comes into your heart and you're You can see and you understand. Suddenly you know Jesus is alive. Jesus is real. Jesus is risen from the dead. And you confess that and submit your life to him. It's what the Bible calls bowing your knee. You're no longer Lord of your life. You submit that lordship to Jesus. You're no longer boss of things. You're now a steward. You're his servant. You're under him. You're his child. And you allow that birth process to take place and you become born again. Now you can see. Now you can hear. Now you can sense. Now you can be filled with the Spirit of God. Because you're not born with natural will, will of the flesh, or of a husband's desire. But you're born of God through his word. Now part of that process in the New Testament involved water baptism. And this is why baptism is so important. Jesus said uh, to the disciples just before he died, he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I'm reading from Matthew 28, verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so the disciples went. First they waited on the power of the Lord. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was outpoured, God began to fall upon them. They began to speak in the new tongue. The crowd gathered in the street and says, What is this? How can we receive this? They were talking not about salvation. They didn't know they needed to be saved. They didn't understand the new birth. But Peter gave them the same message. They thought as all they needed was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Peter started right at the beginning with them. He responded in verse 38 and he said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The promise is for you and your children, for all who who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So he tells us that this promise of salvation, and this new birth promise, and this promise of being filled with God's Spirit to overflowing like day of Pentecost, was not only for those present, but was for those who were distant, It was for their children. It was for everyone upon whom the Lord would call down through history. And so we find that even today, God is filling with the Spirit those those who He calls and those who respond and ask for it. Verse 41, it says, Those who believed or accepted His message, it says in the NIV, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So we find that response to Peter's message response to believing was the process of baptism 
In Acts chapter uh, 8 and verse 12, when Philip went down to Samaria, it says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Now up to this time, uh, women were not allowed in the things of, in the temple and places. And they had restrictions upon women. But now we find both men and women being baptized. In Acts chapter 8, we find the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is a very interesting story of how that baptism happened. They were born of, of the Spirit by believing and being baptized immediately. And I believe that baptism needs to be given more importance than Christians today give it. Because most of us want the new birth without the Lordship principle. And baptism teaches us the complete Lordship principle. It's as we go through baptism that we fully understand what to do with our life and how to live it. Now in chapter 8 of Acts, we find the story of Philip going down in the desert and a chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch, an officer for Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, was reading the prophet Isaiah. And... Philip running alongside asked him if he understood what he read and he said he did not and come up in the chariot and as they went along in the chariot going towards Ethiopia in the desert Philip explained to him the gospel of Jesus Christ through the prophecy he was reading. And so we find in verse 34 that as he was reading the scripture the eunuch asked Philip tell me please who was the prophet talking about himself or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Imagine that. Here is water. Just like God, isn't it? Some of you came tonight on a baptism night. Imagine that. Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Now I, I, I've shown you that because notice they went into the water. It wasn't just, there, there's a lot of controversy in the church world about this. And I, and I don't want to fight or argue or put anybody down that is strong in an opinion on sprinkling. Uh, remember the scripture tells us that we only know in part. But from all of the illustrations of scripture they didn't carry a jug of water but they went into the river they went down into the water and there they were baptized and part of the confusion is because the word baptized means it's a transliteration that it is not an English word but it's a Greek word brought over because of the controversy and because of the not being sure what it meant but it had two meanings it meant to be consecrated by pouring out upon or to be placed into or to be immersed but you can usually tell what it means by the context that it's in. He went down into the water and he baptized him or he immersed him, I believe, in the water. And the reason immersion is what, the way we baptize is because it fits with what Paul said was the reason for baptism. Up until this time, they were baptized by John as the baptism of repentance, as an act of turning from their sins. In Acts chapter 6, I mean Romans chapter 6, Paul says, in verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
Now, how did Jesus move into resurrection life? By surrendering his life, dying on the cross, take, being taken from the cross and being buried in the ground. And then from the ground, God resurrected him. Paul says that's the way we do. We believe in Jesus. We bring our life to him. We let it be buried in baptism. Our whole self, our past, everything we are, is taken and placed under the water, signifying that the old me is gone. He's dead. He no longer lives. And now, as hopefully the pastor will lift you up out of the water, <laughs> We trust them with our lives in there. He lifts you up. You are trusting God to be lifting you up in the spirit. And just as you trust the pastor not to drown you, we are trusting the Holy Spirit to lift us up into newness of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, just like with Nicodemus, it's not turning another page. It's not taking out some New Year's resolutions. And expecting by the work of God that that new one that comes up comes up by the power of the Spirit of the Lord in newness of life. Listen to what he says. If we have been united with him in his death. Well, let's read verse 4. We are, were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death hath no longer has mastery over him. The the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Listen to verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And how does this happen? It happens in a picture. It happens in open confession as you go into the baptistry. You're laying that life down before Jesus because you believe him. Praise the Lord. And you know the wonderful thing about this? Not only did God say it, it happens, but it happens. <laughs> Lives change. Maybe not as quickly or as we thought. But remember, we don't grasp yet fully the things of God. I am beginning to know as I walk on with God that He does everything very, very well. And the things that He deals with are the things that need to be dealed with, dealt with. And so tonight we're going to have... A time when we literally, actually obey what Jesus said. We're going to baptize various ones in water in the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to let you prepare now and let the brethren uh, that are in charge of the baptism come up and do it. Amen.